Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Connor. Um, well, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you all on this uh, Mother's Day together. Uh, we are jumping in uh, and continuing our journey through uh, this book called Philippians, um, which is an incredible uh, book in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote as a letter to a church in uh, Philippi, which is a Roman colony uh, that Paul had brought the gospel to, shared the gospel, and a group of women uh, who were God-fearing women uh, who were seeking the Lord, heard the gospel of Jesus, uh, and uh, were saved. They were brought into relationship with Jesus, and a church was planted uh, as a result. And years later, as Paul is uh, in Roman imprisonment, he's probably under house arrest at this time, um, he is writing letters back to the churches to which he ministered to um, during that period of uh, his ministry life. And uh, we have the book of Philippians because of that. Um, Epaphroditus uh, was sent from Philippi to Rome uh, to bring a, a financial gift to Paul to help support him. Um, while he was under house arrest during those times. If you were under house arrest, you had to uh, still support yourself. If you didn't have family or friends that would support you, uh, you would be then thrown in prison. And so it was a huge gift uh, for Paul that the church was supporting him during this time. And he's writing back uh, this letter to the Philippian church in part as a thank you note um, for their gift of financial blessing to Paul. But in addition to that, he's just writing to encourage them uh, to continue to stand strong and stand firm uh, for the gospel, for the King of Kings, Jesus, for the Lord of Lords, uh, Jesus, in the midst of a cultural climate where in Philippi especially, they were very loyal as a culture to Rome. Um, the, the colony of Philippi was established to reward people who had been loyal to Rome with lands and with estates. And so uh, these Christians, these followers of Jesus, who were proclaiming a message that Caesar is not Lord, in fact, Jesus is Lord, that was a very unpopular thing. And so Paul is writing to encourage them to stand strong and to stand firm in the midst of that. Um, so let's grab our Bibles. We're going to go to Philippians chapter four together. We're kind of uh, on the, the tail end of our journey through uh, the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter four. If you're using one of the Mosaic Bibles, you'll find that on page 1085. Uh, if you're using a smart device, just look it up in the ESV, English Standard Version. That'll make it easy for you to follow along. Um, and we're in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse one. But before we begin, um, uh, it, verse one begins us really with a therefore. Uh, so Philippians uh, four, uh, verse one starts with therefore. And anytime you see that word in scripture, you know that that's a context clue. Uh, it is giving you an idea that what is about to be said is based on what has just been said. So Paul is saying, therefore, uh, because what he's just explained is this calling on our lives as followers of Jesus to press on towards the heavenward goal of Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus is the goal of our life. Um, and I know in, uh, in this environment, we can have lots of different goals or dreams or aspirations. Um, some of them might be similar. Some of them might be wildly different from one another. Um, of what we feel like we've been put on planet Earth to do, what our gifts are, our talents are, our skills, our ambitions, the things we hope to do in our work scenarios or whatever that may be. And in the midst of all of that, 
uh, we have this greater calling on our lives. And that is to press on towards Jesus. Uh, that is to press on towards the goal of obtaining Jesus, both in this life and in the next. And at the tail end of that encouragement to press on toward that goal, um, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables him to subject all things to himself. So Paul is saying that, that, that we followers of Jesus have this goal, which is Jesus to press on towards Jesus. And our citizenship is no longer uh, here on earth in this culture that we find ourselves in, uh, that our citizenship uh, for the Philippians who would have been reading this uh, is not for uh, with Rome or primarily with Rome or for Caesar. We're not living life for Caesar, right? And, and here in our cultural context, 2000 years later, the same thing is true, right? Uh, we're not Americans first. If we're followers of Jesus, we're Christians first. We're not Disney cast members first. If we're followers of Jesus, we don't first work for the mouse, right? Uh, if we're followers of Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven and everything we do and everything we experience in this earth and on this earth and in this life should be viewed through that lens and paradigm of our citizenship in heaven. And so Paul says, because our citizenship is in heaven and we're awaiting Jesus and his return to transform us into uh, this, this resurrection that he is working towards for all of uh, uh, his followers, for all of the people who know Jesus as savior, that, that we're living our lives on this earth in view of eternity. He's saying, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, verse one, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he's saying, since your citizenship is in heaven, since it's not on earth, and you're not living for this culture, but you're living for a culture and a kingdom that is to come and that is coming. Stand firm in that. Uh, Paul is saying, look, I love you. I care about, I love, I love the, the, um, the, the language that he's using here that demonstrates the love that he has for the Philippian church. I love and I long for you. You're my joy and my crown. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved, because there are all sorts of things in this culture uh, that, that we live in that will try to distract us and pull us away from our mission of living for the resurrection of Jesus, like for his resurrection life, for our resurrection in him, that, that our eternal hope is in him. And Paul is saying there's lots that will distract us from our eternal hope here in this temporary fleeting and fading life that we live in. Uh, the Bible says the grass withers and the flowers fade, right? But the word of the Lord remains forever. Uh, David said, teach me, O Lord, to number my days that my life is like a vapor of smoke. Our life on this earth is a blip on the radar of eternity. And Paul is saying with that in mind, stand firm and live for your future resurrection hope in Jesus. So Paul continues, and he kind of turns a corner here in verse two by addressing some specific people within the Philippian church. Now, Philippians is a unique book of the Bible because in this book, he's not addressing any major heresy, any major false teaching or issue within the church, but he does take a moment to address some interpersonal conflict that is going on in the church that was clearly important enough 
that uh, Epaphroditus would have shared that with him on his travel to Rome, would have said, hey, here's what's going on in the church. Here's how we're doing. Here's where we're growing. Here's where we're going after Jesus together. Uh, Here's what we're seeing God do in and among us. But there's also some issues that you need to be aware of and and maybe even speak into. Uh, There's these two women and they're disagreeing together and it's affecting the church. And and, uh, so Paul speaks to those two women in verse two. He says, I entreat which is a word that's like, I beg, I implore you. I I invite you and admonish you. I I draw you in. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. That's fun to say, right? Like, it's like, when I first read those, I thought of Elf, you know, uh, Francisco. That's fun to say, you know. But he entreats Euodia and he entreats Syntyche to do what? To agree in the Lord. So whatever the nature of their disagreement and theologians have wondered about this, they have guessed about this, there is no consensus as to what the nature of their disagreement might have been, but it was apparently big enough that uh, Epaphroditus would have communicated that to Paul and then Paul would have written in his letter to the whole church about these two specific women. It is possible that these two women were some of the first converts in the church in Philippi. And we'll kind of get some clues to that in verse three. Uh, He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul is saying these are prominent and important women. And they're right now, they're in disagreement together. And I'm calling the whole community of the people of God in Philippi, the church in Philippi, into the journey of seeing restoration in their relationship which is a huge deal. It's something that's kind of foreign in our cultural mindsets where we kind of deal with disagreements one-on-one. We really, uh, we don't in a healthy way often bring that to the greater community unless it's gossip, right? Um, and, and so Paul here is saying, look, these two women matter enough to the church that if they don't agree and have good relationship, it's gonna hurt the body. And so I'm calling the whole church, this, uh, this idea of verse three, where he says, my true companion, Uh, Some theologians believe that he's calling the Philippian church his true companion. So he's calling the community to get involved in this process and to help them agree. But what I think is so significant is that their basis of agreement is not that they should agree on the subject matter. Paul is not saying one of you is right, one of you is wrong, or both of you are wrong, and you need to come to agree on what is right. He's not trying to get them to agree on an issue which I think in our uh, world where we live uh, with our, our uh, social media and, and the ways that we uh, discourse with other people, especially about social issues that we're seeing unfold in our, in our culture today. So often we come to a place of disagreement uh, and we do that in a public way. And the world is kind of looking in and saying like, oh, if that's what it means to be a Christian, you know, I'm not so sure. And what Paul is not doing here is saying, you guys need to agree on the subject matter. You need to agree on the solution to the problems you see. What he's saying is you need to agree in the Lord. You need to agree in the Lord. You need to recognize that you may have different opinions about what's going on. And you may not come to agreement about those opinions, but you need to recognize and see because our citizenship is in heaven, that there is a basis of agreement and of unity that we ought to have with other followers of Jesus, simply based on the fact that we are in the Lord together. 
And as we trek through this passage, we're going to see that phrase in the Lord over and over and over again. It's a huge key to recognizing what Paul is doing here. First, he's told them to stand firm thus in the Lord in verse one. And now he's entreating Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And there's more to come. Verse four, he says, rejoice. Where and how? In the Lord, right? So he's calling us to live according to this citizenship. So this idea of rejoicing uh, is a huge theme in Philippians. This idea of joy is a huge theme in Philippians, which says that we are to live in such a way that our joy, our, our, our well-being is not connected to our circumstances or what's going on around us or our interpersonal relationships, but is in the Lord. It is transcendent because we have Jesus. We have the ability to have joy in the midst of any and every circumstance. Paul earlier in this letter has said that. I have found the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, sick uh, or well, uh, whether, whether with plenty or with little, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And actually that's not earlier, that's later in the letter. But Paul uh, is, is speaking here and now about this idea of rejoicing because our rejoicing is not connected to our circumstances, but it is connected to the Lord Jesus, who is good, still just as good, still just as kind as when we first met him, as we just sang uh, together as a church. I love when uh, we get together and we gather and we worship and the songs that we sing are not just, you know, whatever's top 40 on C88.3, you know. I'm glad we're not singing Mary Mary every week. How is Mary Mary still being played on Christian radio? I do not know, okay? Has shackles. Like, why are we playing that song? You know, just take it up with with Jesus um, on that and with, with, with the Z. But yeah, when we come together, we sing that he's still just as good. It's a recognition that whatever may be going on in our lives is not a deterrent from our recognition of the goodness of our God in the midst of our circumstances. That he's good to us and he loves us and he cares for us and he's intimately involved in the midst of a dying and fallen broken world. And he's calling us to press into who he is and what he's done, his character, his nature, his value, and what he's doing in us in the midst of our difficult circumstances, producing maturity and all of those things. And so our rejoicing is not in our circumstances, but instead our rejoicing is in the Lord. And Paul goes so far as to repeat himself. And I always take note when the, in the Bible, the authors of scripture repeat themselves because papyrus is not cheap. Okay. Like the, the letters that they are sending are extremely expensive to draft up. And so it's not just like a text message where you have unlimited text. You guys, did anybody have cell phones when texts were like, you had to pay per text? You know what I'm saying? And so you wanted to make sure, that's why like back in the day and with the T9 texting, with all the things, everybody shortened every word, right? Because you didn't want to go over so many characters and then end up having two texts. I got to pay for two texts for this bum, you know? And and Paul is using valuable papyrus to say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. He's saying this matters. This is part of what it means to fight, to stand firm in the midst of relational difficulties, in the midst of cultural difficulties, in the midst of uh, a world that is not conducive to living according to our new citizenship of heaven. 
Paul is saying, rejoice. It is key to fighting the battle of living and standing firm for Jesus. Now, verse five should be like our social media life verse. Verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everybody, to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I love that that concept of allowing our reasonableness to be known to everyone. I mean, we're in the midst of uh, so many different culture wars that are taking place. And, and the way that Christians interact with the world is absolutely either going to draw people into Jesus or push people away from Jesus, right? And, and so often Christians, we fight these cultural battles because we want our culture to look a certain way and honor God and flourish in that way. And that's a good heart and a good desire that, that we as a culture might be more in line with the will of God than less in line with the will of God. But what we have to recognize is that a watching and waiting world is looking in on the way that we talk about them, the way that we talk with them or to them, hopefully more with than to, and the way that we talk with one another, the world is looking in on that and asking the question, what are these Christians like? What's it like to be a follower of Jesus? They say that they love God and that they love people. These are the two greatest commandments. Well, what, how does that flesh out? And one of the keys that Paul is giving us is reasonableness, <laughs> that, that we would just simply be reasonable people and that that would be made known to everybody. And when we recognize that our joy is not found in our circumstances or what's happening around us, it gives us the posture to be able to be reasonable. It's huge, it's huge. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Like he, he's coming, he, he's coming back. This life, there are troubles, but they are momentary and light in comparison to the glory that's gonna be revealed to us in the new creation and in, in eternity and with Jesus. So whether Jesus returns tomorrow, the next week or 20 years from now, or we go to be with Jesus through death in less than a hundred years from now, the Lord is at hand. We're going to meet him face to face. And so we need to be living, standing firm uh, in the Lord and with our citizenship in heaven. And so he continues in verse six, in the midst of kind of a context where he's talking about some interpersonal conflict, uh, in the midst of a, a, a context where, I don't know about you, but man, when I have interpersonal content, a conflict with people, that's when my anxiety levels begin to build. Uh, anybody know they're about to have a, a hard conversation with somebody? You know, you kind of get those sweaty palms and sweaty pits, you know? Um, maybe you don't sleep as well the night before. Um, in my family uh, context, uh, one of my family members has been involved in really heavy drug use and alcohol use and um, all sorts of sex addiction and all sorts of stuff that he's been walking through. And so we had him over to our house yesterday and um, just, you know, had to have a sit down conversation with him to say, hey, listen, we love you. And because we love you, uh, we want good for your life and we want you to be healthy and we want you to be well. Uh, and so we had a face-to-face -face conversation with him and tried to love him in the midst of his struggles. Uh, but man, leading up to that uh, that conversation, my wife and I had many, many, many conversations and had to be uh, honest with each other and really had to be honest with the Lord about the anxiety that was being produced in us as we were coming closer and closer to the day where we would sit down and have that conversation. And anxiety is a real thing. Some of us, we, we, we deal with anxiety on a regular basis. It can be crippling. It can be so difficult. It can be crushing. And so what Paul says next is he says, look, first, you got to know the Lord is at hand, okay? He's not far off. He's near. He's close. He's not a God that just sits off in heaven and, 
you know, seeing how this whole macro story unfolds. But no, he is a, a God that is involved in every detail. Jesus talks about, uh, you know, our provision with our good father, that, that if God provides for the birds of the field, how much more is he going to provide for us, his children? Uh, that God is near to us. Uh, the, the scripture we read tonight from Psalm, was it was a 34, Josh? Psalm 34, 18, that, he, that God is near to the brokenhearted. So God is not a God who's far off, who is unaware of our anxiety. And I love that Jesus, even in his ministry life, you see him at moments uh, in his ministry life where you can, you can recognize the anxiety that he is walking with and walking through. As he's having conversations with people that are difficult at times. And, and, and uh, probably the best example of this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to absorb the wrath of God on our behalf for our salvation. And scripture says that he is sweating so much that it's drops of blood that are coming out. That there is that much weight that Jesus is carrying. And I love that Hebrews talks about Jesus as our high priest who is familiar with our weaknesses. He knows what we're going through. He's been there. He's Jesus took on human flesh and he dwelt among us. He knows what it feels like to feel stress and anxiety. And so what Paul is saying here is he, as he starts in verse six, when he says, do not be anxious about anything, he's not trying to shame us for our anxiety in any way. What he's, what he's asking us to do is to not remain in it, to not stay there and, and to help us to know what to do with it. So he's saying, look, the Lord is at hand and because God is near, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he's saying when, when we're anxious, whether it's interpersonal conflict, which is the context here, or any other anxieties that we may be facing, there is something that we can do with that anxiety, and it is bring our anxiety to the Lord. My daughter is three, and... Um, I have two daughters. So I have a three-year-old daughter named Haddon and a one-year-old daughter named Piper. And my oldest daughter, Haddon, struggles with anxiety quite a bit. We've seen counselor, uh, seen a counselor and, and worked through uh, a lot of her anxiety with her. But in the very beginning of the journey, when we began to recognize her anxiety, uh, we, um, you know, the kind of the first time this happened, we were bathing her and, um, and she, was, she was probably less than two years old at this time. And she pooped in the tub which happens to the best of us, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you get relaxed, you get a good book. You're like in like, you know, book three of Harry Potter. And it's just like, things are going great, you know? And you, and, you know, you just don't even notice. And then it happens, you know? I mean, it happens to the best of us. Uh, I hope not. But, but when you're less than two years old, you absolutely have an excuse. And so she poops in the tub. And then all of a sudden she's like completely terrified for, uh, bathing. Um, she, she won't take baths. Every time we try to put her in the bath, she has an absolute meltdown. And then her anxiety began to build in other ways. We started noticing uh, she was really afraid of cars and parking lots. And, um, and so really things that were very simple for her before became really difficult for her. And so we started memorizing this, this Bible verse with her. And maybe you've heard it before. It's uh, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Yes, y'all know the Bible. I love it. Yes, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And if you didn't know that verse before, now you do. It's a really easy Bible verse to memorize. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And here Paul is saying, uh, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but 
in everything with prayer and supplication, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which passes understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. See, because God cares for us, we can cast our cares on him. And when we cast our cares on him, he gives us some very practical things to do in order to cast our cares on him. It is things like prayer, <laughs> that we go to God and we, we talk with God, that we communicate with God. We, we start by saying, God, I'm feeling anxious right now. God, I'm struggling right now. I'm feeling a lot of anxiety. I feel like I can't control my situation. I can't, I can't control my emotions. I can't control this other person. I don't have control, God, and I'm feeling anxiety. We pray, we, we bring that to him. In fact, in 1 Peter uh, 5, 7, that verse that we memorized with our daughter Haddon, that verse comes in a context as well. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord under the mighty hand of God. And in the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So the context of casting our anxieties on God is humility before him. And here's the key with that. It's recognizing that I don't have what it takes, but you do. I don't have what it takes, God, but you do. And so what Paul is not saying is that it's a sin or wrong if we experience any anxiety. That is not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, please don't stay in it. Please don't handle it on your own. Please don't deal with it by yourself. Please don't simply turn to coping mechanisms when God is at hand and he's inviting you in and he's inviting you to be a part of the journey with him. And there's a promise that comes with it. So there's a command followed by a promise. So the command is the Lord is at hand. So don't be anxious about anything. But, in, but uh, with thanksgiving, uh, it, by, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that's, that's the command. But then verse seven comes with a promise. And that promise is the result of what happens when we bring our anxieties to God. Verse seven, it says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. And there it is again in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, right? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. This idea of the peace of God is, um, it is a supernatural peace that doesn't make sense in the midst of our anxieties. What did Jesus say when he was here on this planet with his disciples? He said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I give to you not as the world gives. And then he says, in this life, you're gonna have troubles of many kinds, <laughs> So Jesus is not saying, I'm going to remove troubles from you. And that's what peace looks like. And often that's, that's actually the type of peace that we seek after. Remember the, the church in Philippi was intensely Roman. They were loyal to Rome. And one of the, the primary tenets of the Roman empire was the Pax Romana or the peace of Rome. And that peace was established through the sword, <laughs> So what Rome would do is they would go conquer distant peoples and distant lands and they would heavily tax them and they would say, lucky you, you now get to enjoy the Pax Romana. And it was a half truth because in, in part, 
they were protected by Rome from outside invaders. But the reality is that they were under oppression, under the subjugation of Rome. And so that peace came with a sword, right? And what Jesus is offering is a peace, not as the world gives, not as Rome gives, not a peace of our circumstances where we don't have war and fighting around us, but we're laden with the burden of, of Rome. But it is the peace that God gives where even in the midst of the fighting and wars around us, even in the midst of the difficulties and circumstances that we face, that God is at hand and that he's with us. And when we cast our anxieties on him, we know he cares for us. And when we bring our anxieties to him, the peace uh, through prayer and through uh, supplication and with thanksgiving, the peace that doesn't even make any sense This is what scripture is talking about when it says it surpasses our understanding, right? We don't even understand the type of peace that Jesus gives us, but the peace that doesn't even make sense, it surpasses understanding. What does it do? It guards our hearts and our minds, not our circumstances, but it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You know, as we uh, bring our struggles and as we bring our anxieties to Jesus and and we humbly recognize (laughs) that he cares for us and we present all of our fears, all of our struggles, all of our difficulties to him and say, I'm not enough, God, but you are enough. And when we do that and recognize that he is the exalted king of kings and Lord of lords who can handle it, he can handle anything we bring to him. The most difficult, complex situations, circumstance, feelings, emotions, um, our, our mental health, our spiritual health, our physical health, whatever we may be bringing to him, he can handle it. And when we recognize that he is the king of the universe and that he can handle it and we humble ourselves under his mighty, mighty hand, that he will guard our hearts and minds with his rule, with his reign. What a gift our king is to us. What a gift our King Jesus is to us. This citizenship that we enjoy by faith in Jesus is such a gift because our king loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. He has done everything that is necessary to bring us into relationship with him. And he is not far off, he's near. And he's inviting us in whatever circumstance we may face. He is inviting us to come and bring our struggles to him. And then he promises to give us himself. What an awesome opportunity that is. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and as we close our time together, it is, it is such an important thing to know the goodness and the beauty and the grace and the kindness of Jesus that he would invite us to come to him in the midst of when we are at our worst. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like that our God is so good that when we struggle the most, he invites us near to himself, that he is that kind to us that whenever we are struggling and whatever we are struggling with, that he doesn't push us away and reject us, but he draws us near. And he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And he is more than able to do all that is necessary to guard our hearts and our minds in himself. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much 
for who you are. We thank you that you are not a God that is far off, but you're a God that is at hand, you're near, uh, that you are intimately involved in everything that we walk through in this life. God, I thank you that we don't have to try to accomplish living this life and standing firm and getting along with one another and uh, walking through the difficulties of, of our surroundings on our own that we don't have to have what it takes. You're not asking us to, to go get, get all the right tools and all the right skills and clean up our lives and have it all together and then come to you. <laughs> but we do that the completely other way around where you allow us to come to you in the midst of our struggles. And you minister to our hearts, you minister to our minds in whatever we may face. So God, tonight, I just pray that wherever um, every single person that is in this space is at, I pray that you would invite them to explore what it looks like to draw near to you in the midst of their struggles. And God, I thank you that you offer us a peace that transcends our circumstances, it surpasses our understanding, and it guards our hearts and guards, guards our minds in you. Let it be so, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.